0: Welcome to the Doggy Dojo. I'm your host, Susan Light, a Los Angeles-based dog trainer on a quest to become worthy of the title, Sensei of the Doggy Dojo. Today's episode is a little more technical than most. We're digging into a concept that is really core to dog training, and especially positive reinforcement dog training, which unless this is your first episode you should know i try to advocate for we've talked about the quadrants before and about using positive reinforcement to increase or drive behaviors we like but what about the behaviors that we don't like since i don't teach punishment in the past i've told my clients to ignore the behaviors they don't like by not reinforcing them they will eventually decrease This is, or was, my understanding of how extinction worked. But let me tell you, there's a lot of problems with this in practice. I was starting to wonder if extinction was effective or even humane, and I sought out an expert to give me her opinion. My guest today is a professor emeritus in the Department of Psychology at Utah State University. She has co-authored chapters on behavior change in five veterinary texts, and her popular articles have been translated into 17 languages. She teaches seminars and courses on animal learning online with students from 60 countries so far. She also consults with zoos and animal organizations around the world. She was appointed to the Fish and Wildlife Service's California Condor Recovery Team from 2002 to 2010, after which time the team was retired due to the success of the birds in the wild. She is the chairperson of the Scientific Advisory Committee of the American Humane Association Film and TV Unit, and a member in good standing of ABAI, ABMA, IAATE, and IAABC. I am honored to be joined by Susan Friedman, PhD. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Friedman. Thank you for coming.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: So I'm excited to talk about extinction, and I think the first thing we should do is define it for everybody. How would, In terms of behavior modification, how do we define extinction?
1: Well, I would say in terms of behavior analysis instead of behavior modification, because behavior okay. modification is a big umbrella, okay. um, but the science of behavior change that focuses on learning behavior, behavior analysis, has a definition of extinction. Um, that would have something to do with withholding reinforcement for a behavior that has been previously maintained by that reinforcer. So if attention, for example, was the maintaining reinforcer uh, for a behavior, uh, then we would say ignoring would be an extinction procedure, removing attention.
0: Interesting. So what kinds of behaviors do people usually try to use extinction for in reference to dog training?
1: So very often um, people will use extinction uh, for behaviors that they believe are or hypothesize. They, They use their educated guessing is maintained by attention. And then they would say, I'm going to ignore that behavior. But there are some real problems with that very common approach. Uh, One of the problems is the very assumption that a particular behavior is attention maintained, that the animal is doing it for attention, for the purpose of acquiring human attention, when that in itself needs to be, I think, carefully assessed, because there could be other reasons. For example, barking, persistent barking. It might be to get a tangible item like a toy. It might be to be uh, let out the door, so escaping that area to go outside. It could be other things besides attention, but we as humans, we tend to think about, um, you know, we tend to think about us as the center of everybody's world, including our dogs. And so if the dog is doing a behavior um, that we don't like, very often we assume it's for our attention. So the first problem is, Verifying the assumption, you know, we need to put a variety of possibilities on the table that might explain why a dog is persistently barking or persistently jumping on people um, in addition to attention and then do some tests to see if we can't figure out what really is the purpose for behaving in that way that's annoying to us. So extinction is the process of withholding the reinforcer that has been maintaining the behavior.
0: Whatever it is.
1: Whatever it is. Whether it's a tangible item like a toy or whether it's getting to go outside and escaping perhaps the boredom of being in the living room. Or it may be the attention that we provide by talking to our dogs and giving them rubs and that sort of thing. So there are different different reasons that a dog may repeatedly do behavior. Mm-hmm. It may be getting different outcomes. And we need to look carefully um, at what those possibilities might be, because it might not always be attention.
0: Absolutely. And yet
1: attention is often our very first hypothesis. Oh, they're just doing it for attention. And so then people will ignore. And there are some problems with ignoring. Um, The first problem is then that it isn't attention that the animal's behaving in that way to get. But we've assumed Mm. that it is. Mm. So we're ignoring something that's not being done for the purpose of getting attention. So ignoring it won't effectively reduce the problem behavior because it was not attention that was maintaining. it.
0: Yeah. Because some things are, I love that you say there's other things reinforcing them. I usually explain them as being self-reinforcing, like maybe your dog just likes to do it. They like to jump. They like to bark. They like to dig. They're not doing it. Like you said, we're not the center of their world. It's not always why they're doing it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know whether um, saying that they like it, is going far enough down the path of what we would call function. The Mm. reason what, what change in the environment the animal is doing that behavior to get. So if somebody said to me, maybe they just like to jump, I would say, well, what is it about jumping? What are they getting? That is of value to them. Mm. So I, I assume that an animal repeats doing what they're doing because they like it or they wouldn't repeat it. I mean, I think we can define liking something as um, liking doing something uh, as a sort of circular description. How do you know they like it because they do it a lot? Well, why are they doing it? Because they like it. Yeah. So I think that we can break out of that circle swirl of reasoning to say, well, can we identify more tangibly what we mean by liking? What is the outcome of the jumping or the barking or the running away? So for jumping, it might be that they get a toy because people try and distract the jumping with a toy. So the animal learns jump to get the toy. Or they might bark persistently to get the door open to go outside. So we might say they like to bark at the door because it results at least some of the time in the door opening. And then Mm -hmm. they have access to all the great activities and reinforcers out in the yard. Um, Or a dog may run away when you put your hands down, you know, as if to pick it up or to pet it. And then we might say, well, They like to run away because what it produces is distance from those hands.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah, So,
1: yeah, I think that we can take that basic idea of they do things because they like to, and then walk a few more steps down that path to say, you know, what is it that doing that behavior is likable? What is, what does the behavior get them? or allow them to escape, to get or to get away from. And that that'll be a more fruitful line of reasoning, because then we're looking to the changes in the environment, the behavior produces that give that behavior its value. Mm -hmm. So I always say, I say to people, and this is kind of a funny way to explain it. Tell me what you think. I say to people, it's not really the behavior that's the thing with a capital T, the capital T thing. It's the outcome of behaving that's the Mm. thing. And so when we want to understand why an animal repeatedly does something, we need to ask, well, what do they get? Or what do they get away from by repeating that behavior?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then it feels like there's not a lot of instances when you would want to rely on extinction. In your training plan?
1: Well, if I could identify what the maintaining reinforcer was, which is just another way of saying what the purpose for behaving in that way was, what they get or get away, was, and I could effectively withhold it, we know scientifically that behavior will re- reduce. If the behavior mm-hmm. is no longer receiving the outcomes that had been giving the behavior its value, then the animal will, you know, reduce doing that behavior. It's no longer producing the thing, right? The Mm -hmm. outcome. But on the other hand, we, while it will be effective in reducing behavior, we have to ask ourselves, is removing a reinforcer going to protect, protect the welfare of the animal in the long run? Mm
0: -hmm. Are we meeting that need? In another way. Mm
1: -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So rather than just think about, I'm going to reduce behavior by identifying whether it's attention seeking, toy seeking, door opening seeking, and I'm just going to ignore. I'm going to not deliver toys. I'm going to, you know, only open doors when I, when it's my idea. Mm -hmm. Those will or may successfully reduce the jumping, the barking, and so forth. But it doesn't address how the animal can behave to get those important things like attention, toys, and doors open. And so you've hit on one of the keys to the the learning castle is our orientation to not just eliminate behavior, but Mm -hmm. to ask what can the animal do to get those same important outcomes but in a better way, in a way that keeps them successful in their home.
0: Absolutely. I love that. And I think also this, this is very interesting. Let's talk about the extinction burst mm-hmm. that may happen. Um, if I were to define it, it's not going to be scientific. If you're mm-hmm. doing something that you expect to work because it's worked in the past and all of a sudden it doesn't work. And the example I give my clients is uh, one day I was trying to airdrop something. And it just wasn't working. And I was just so frustrated and over and over again, I was like, just do it. Just, why is it not do it? Just so frustrated. And I was like, this is an extinction burst because my technology is not working. Uh, so you sometimes will get that from the dogs being like, Hey, I did the thing. Hey, 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 I did the thing. Do it, do it, do it. Um, so, I don't know if that's a good definition of an extinction burst or not. But yeah. um, the way you described it, I, I would then also expect the dog to then find a new way to try to meet that need, which you may not like any better.
1: That's right. When we leave a hole in the activity budget and we don't take the time to replace it with a better existing behavior or teach a new. Replacement behavior. When we leave a hole, then we don't know what the learner is going to fill it with. And they may fill it with aggressive behaviors or Mm. frustration behaviors Mm -hmm. or other kinds of things that are common in the extinction burst. So if we just roll the discussion back a little bit and say, okay, from a science point of view, which, you know, That doesn't mean people should close their ears and eyes and say, Oh no, I don't, I can't handle science because this (laughs) is the most accessible science there is. Everybody knows this science or they wouldn't be successful in their own lives. Mm -hmm. It's a natural science. It's something we're using and observing every moment of every day. So we can, we can um, cut loose that baggage that when I say a science definition is that people worry they won't be able to in some way, keep up with it or won't like it. Um, Usually it adds clarity. So from a science point of view, and then you tell me if it, if it's too confusing, um, an extinction burst is the reaction that animals sometimes have when an expected reinforcer is withheld. Mm-hmm. which is exactly yeah. what you said, just maybe uh, in fewer More words. More succinctly, very <laughs> much. Yeah, and that is what science should do. It should add clarity and succinctness. So yeah. what we see is animals will increase the intensity mm-hmm. with which they try to get that reinforcer shaken out of the tree, so to speak, um, because they have a history of behaving in the way they did to get that outcome. Now suddenly they don't get the outcome. And not every time, but often enough for scientists to have noticed, they said what can happen is that animals will work extra hard to make that reinforcer appear. And in that extra intensity, is often behavior we don't want, like Mm -hmm. aggression and frustration, which we would have to describe for any individual, what does it look like? Aggression for a frog might be biting your thumb, aggression for a dog may be, you know, running out of the room, aggression for one dog may be coming at you, another dog going away from, I mean, so we would have to describe what we mean for the individual, what are they actually doing, but We get behavior that we don't want. And so that is one of the problems with using extinction as a standalone. When our goal is only to eliminate behavior instead of to build new successful repertoires of behavior that fit conditions successfully, then we can often get this unwanted behavior that's even more unwanted than the one we were trying to eliminate. Our job as teachers and pet parents and parents and consultants is to build successful behavior, is to teach. Mm-hmm. So in behavior analysis, we stress less eliminating problems and more answering that question that you, that you brought into the discussion, which is what can they do instead?
0: We're going to take a quick break. If you'd like to learn more from Dr. Friedman, check out behaviorworks.org, or you can find her on Facebook under Behavior Works. I've linked both in the show notes. We'll be right back. I'd also like to point out, I just read this really interesting article about um, how we accidentally can create these behavior changes that begin with undesirable behavior when we redirect incorrectly so the dog starts with this undesirable behavior jumping so to speak since we were talking about jumping and you ask for a sit and you treat the sit they we can create a behavior chain that in the dog's mind starts with the jump
1: it can be a problem yeah it is possible for a, a chain effect to occur where and everybody will recognize this from the kid in the supermarket that you have to be bad in order to be good to get Mm. the reinforcer, right? Mm. And so there has been some research done on um, how can we prevent those chains from occurring? When are they most likely to occur? And we would know it when we see it if we give the animal enough practice in that doing it wrong first in order to do it right, to be cued to sit, um, in mm-hmm. order to get that positive reinforcer, so there's there's more to it than just um, redirecting with a cue for positive reinforcement, like yeah. sit for positive reinforcement. there we need to be more thoughtful. And again, I think it goes back to understanding some of the basic foundations of how behavior works. For example, behavior is always conditional. So dogs are not just jumping willy-nilly they jump in some conditions it doesn't just spray out of them like a leaky faucet (laughs) sometimes they jump and sometimes they don't those conditions are what's really important to building good training plans is to see when the dog is likely to jump building the sit repertoire a great response to a cue separately as a prerequisite skill Mm -hmm. And then bringing that skill into very easy versions of the conditions under which we would predict the dog will jump and then increasing the difficulty of those conditions. So you're right. We have to be careful about um, if we're not just going to ignore, and many behaviors can't be ignored, even if they were attention maintained. Um, Right. Then what, and we do teach an alternative behavior, what that plan is going to look like for teaching that alternative behavior. And one of the problems is, for sure, needing to avoid the possibility of building that chain, yeah. that bad-to-be-good chain.
0: Because mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of the advice comes in to ignore the bad behavior. Just ignore it, ignore it. And then, you know, once they've given it up, then you can cue something that you'd rather have them do. So it's tricky because really, ideally, you create enough management that you make it impossible, right? That's always what we say for the ideal training plan. You make it impossible for them to make the wrong decision. Um, that's, that's ideal conditions. We all know that in real life, this stuff's going to happen sometimes. So, yeah.
1: Well, that idea of making it impossible for it to happen doesn't teach them what to do when it does happen. And I think that's why dog trainers call it management instead of training
0: Mm. that
1: when we do things like put a gate up so that the dog can't jump when the pizza person delivers, um, we have managed the situation, um, but we haven't taught the dog what to do when the knock on the door from the pizza delivery person comes. Mm -hmm. So management is definitely an important part of our toolkit. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes management is enough, but for those times where we decide that we really need a dog to have a skill to be able to deal with those conditions successfully, then management might be an early part of the plan, but it's not going to be sufficient because they still don't know, uh, when the knock on the door occurs, I want the dogs to take a quick right hand turn into my office Mm -hmm. where I'll then spray a handful of treats, close the door, and then let the pizza person hand me off the pizza. So it depends really on what people want. If they want their dog to have the skill of what to do that's successful when the knock on the door occurs, that's one um, decision. If they just want to manage the situation so that the dogs are not escaping the door or jumping on the visitor, then a gate up you know, at the living room break is is enough. Um, so I think these are good discussions to have and good think pieces for people to go through. Is management mm-hmm. enough? If it is, I would do this. If If skill building is my goal, then what's the training plan?
0: Yeah, I love it. This is a little bit tangential, but I can't resist asking you because... I just can't wait to hear what you'll say. Um, Superstitious behavior. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere and correct me if I'm wrong, that it can take a thousand reps of not getting reinforced for a superstitious behavior to be given up.
1: That's crazy. So from the terms of (laughs) extinction, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how anyone would know how many um, repetitions it would take because I think that would be, very much, I call it a study of one, very much about the individual and their learning history. Mm-hmm. So I'd need to read that research. I'm very skeptical that there's a general number we can count on um, because there's just too much individual differences um, yeah. to account for a single number. But I can tell you that the a couple of things. First of all, the idea of superstitious behavior, I think, is a little bit... Um, gone a little bit sideways. Because if we agree that what we mean by it is that the animal was inadvertently reinforced for something, then it's not superstitious at all. It was the result of inadvertent training. So for example, if every time um, I reinforce a, a dog for, let's say, bowing, a fun enrichment behavior, stretching out those front paws, butt up and back feet and legs straight in the air, back legs in the air into a bow. And um, every time I uh, say good and deliver that reinforcer, they happen to have lifted their left paw or scratched their snout first. Um, and that happens just before I I praise and or click and then deliver food. I've taught the dog. That the way to control the food is by going into the bow, scratching their snout, and then putting their foot forward. So we call that, or some people call that um, superstitious behavior, but really, it's not superstitious at all in the sense that we actually, because of poor timing, train that element into the final behavior. Yeah. So that's one thing to consider is what do we really mean when we say the dog is doing that superstitiously? I worry, the reason why I point that out is because if it really is about uh, poor timing in our training and we keep blaming the dog for their superstition, then um, then we won't reflect on our own training and improve our timing. Oh, so absolutely. that's why I think it's important. I think it's um,
0: completely... Our fault for accidentally reinforcing the behavior, or you dropped something you know then they've got reinforced unintentionally completely, but um but they would have had to some... have
1: gotten um they would have had to have gotten unintentionally reinforced repeatedly,
0: okay, so it can't be just once
1: well it isn't it isn't usually just isn't one event, yeah, okay. that we form patterns, so all of us on the planet, regardless of our species um all animals and it may be that plants are doing this too there's some new research in that area but all of us in the animal kingdom are biologically prepared to find the connection between what we do and the outcomes that result from it and mm. that enables us to move through the world you know using behavior to control our outcomes to get to reinforcers and get away from Punishers or aversive stimuli. So, for an animal to, for any of us to find that pattern between our behavior and the consequence, there usually needs to be some repetition between the behavior and the consequence for the pattern to be valid. Mm -hmm. For us to act on the prediction that if I behave in this way,
0: an outcome
1: I desire wants to happen. Um. But as far as um, another aspect of so-called superstitious behavior and that number that you read, it it is important to note that the leaner the intermittent schedule is, the more occasional the reinforcer is delivered, that the longer it will take for an animal to learn that the behavior consequence connection is false. Hmm. So if we think about, yeah, delivering reinforcers every time a dog does something that we've cued, for example, the bow. And then we think about um, never reinforcing the bow in between every time and never, are all of these different intermittent schedules where we sometimes reinforce it and sometimes we don't. And the more occasional the reinforcer schedule, the more likely it is for an animal to persist under the condition of no reinforcement until they finally get the picture that it's never coming and they can abandon that behavior. So that's another problem with extinction. I mean, you've brought us full circle, is that behaviors with an intermittent reinforcement history are the slowest to change. Because how many repetitions does it take for the animal to learn, to experience, that this is not just one of those lean, intermittent moments? In fact, this is extinction. It's never happening. Yeah. And And then we we mess
0: it up occasionally by, again, reinforcing
1: it. Which is another reason why I'm not a big fan of extinction as a standalone. So let's summarize. One thing is we often think that extinction is a synonym for ignoring. Mm -hmm. But when a behavior is not attention based, ignoring isn't going to affect the frequency with which an animal does it. So there's a cautionary tale there. We need to ask, what is the animal behaving for? And that would be the thing we would need to withhold. Don't always assume it's your attention. Um, The second problem is what you identified as the extinction burst, is that idea that very often when an animal has a history of experience behaving and a reinforcer, behavior reinforcer connection, that... When they suddenly don't get the reinforcer for behaving, they will often increase the intensity with which they behave, sometimes tipping into aggression and other unwanted behaviors, trying to shake that past history of reinforcement loose from this tree that's no longer you know dropping fruit um if we can stand the ugly metaphor, <laughs> and now you've identified a third problem um which is that behaviors that are only very occasionally reinforced are going to be the slowest to extinguish because the animal has no way to know whether or not this is just one of those lean stretches, but reinforcement will eventually be delivered or if it's never coming as it would never in order to be called extinction. And we mess that up all the time, which is another reason why I don't recommend extinction um really ever, actually now that I think about it. <laughs> and that's because the very behaviors we want to reduce that are most driving us batty are the ones that we're least likely to be able to ignore.
0: Yeah. So true. That we
1: we won't throw a toy over or we won't toss a treat or a, a cue for a sit or that we will withhold our attention from. If it wasn't driving us crazy in the first place, mm-hmm. we wouldn't <laughs> even be thinking about using <laughs> a behavior a decreasing strategy. And so, you know, I don't know if your audience will remember <laughs> um, what's the show with the kid with the diamond shaped head and the mom called Lois family, uh, guy, oh my family guy. Yeah. And um, the kid goes into the bedroom where she's resting on the bed, the mom, Lois. And he starts, Lois, Lois, Lois. And she's correct, I'm sure, in assuming that his, you know, continuing to try and get her attention is for the attention. It's an attention-based behavior. And she's going to ignore it. And you can see her ball up her hands into a fist, look straight forward like she's in a in a zone, ignoring him, ignoring him. It's so hard, but he persists. Lois, Lois, Lois. And after about 40 Loises, she screams, what? Well, boom, that is now a schedule of, you know, Mm -hmm. 40 demands of her name for one moment of attention. And she will need to now, to extinguish that behavior, um, need to go, much longer than 40 yeah. for the kid to recognize that, oh, this is not just one of these lean moments. This is never happening. Well, what's the chance that any parent can hear a dog barking 40 times and not do something about it? Yeah. Or a parrot screaming or, you know, um, a guinea pig whining or whatever. It, you know, it's like zero. We would all yeah. go crazy. Or
0: the jumping, so, because mm-hmm. what is that That's advice? Right. They're like, just tuck your arms up and let them jump. And I have clients that like, I tried to follow that advice. I'm just covered in bites and scratches, especially with the big dogs. Sometimes you physically yeah. can't just ignore it.
1: No, exactly. So this is this is our third problem. And, um, and there are others, uh, depending on the animals you're working with. While you're ignoring and getting that high-intensity extinction burst, other animals may be watching. And so they may learn to jump, 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 jump. Um, Some species are considered better observational learners than others. But if we tie that to kids as an example, you know, we definitely don't want children observing other children screaming for 40 minutes um, for fear of imitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reinforcement from, we call it bootleg bootleg reinforcement is reinforcement that the dog can get that we're not controlling, mm. you know, so if there's food on the ground that they find that we didn't sweep up, that might reinforce the behavior we're trying to extinguish, um, or, you know, if the phone rings and it's an attention-based behavior, you know, us saying shh, sh, sh, might be the moment of reinforcement. So it's kind of like uncontrolled reinforcers from the environment, um, you know, that we are not, not in control of. That could be reinforcing that behavior, even though we're the ones who are withholding the maintaining reinforcer. Yeah. And um, the last problem is um, recovery. You know, very often behaviors that have been extinction extinguished will co- recover. So we really have better tools than extinction, um, given that long list. And I guess one more to give your your audience that's really important, I think, is that extinction is very slow. Mm-hmm. So that goes sort of hand in hand with the observation that intermittent, intermittently reinforced behaviors are the slowest to change. Um but it's a very slow process. Replacing um, the behavior that's problematic while protecting those reinforcers, attaching the reinforcers to a new, more successful behavior is by far the better approach, but it takes more knowledge, a little more skill, a -hmm. good supervisor, you know, like yourself. a lot
0: of proactive uh, attention.
1: That's right. Yeah. It takes a commitment to teaching. And um, that takes a minute for people to get used to that, you know, did they get a dog to have to become trainers? Well, in a sense, that is what we, what we're buying when we bring, uh, you know, an individual into our home of any species. So it's very yeah. rewarding to learn those skills, but I understand it can take a minute for someone to say, really, you know, do I have to teach them to sit at the door instead of jump? I don't even know where I'd begin. Isn't it isn't it easier to just grab the dog by the collar and knock it down?
0: Yeah, I was. I wanted to touch on that right before we signed off is that I want to make sure people don't turn to punishers instead to extinguish these behaviors right. because that's never something that I, I recommend and can be very, very damaging to dogs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it can
1: be damaging in a similar way. I mean, I think what extinction and punishment have in in, uh, in common is that they both seek, both procedures are used to, to eliminate behavior when mm-hmm. really what we should be doing is teaching alternatives that produce similar reinforcers, but in a successful way. So that's where we get that great question. What do you want the dog to do when a knock on the door occurs? What do you want the dog to do while you're on Zoom instead of mm-hmm. barking? What do you want the dog to do, you know, to get the door open, to go outside? And when we can list those reimagined answers, you know, that reimagined repertoire of the dog, I can tell you with a hundred percent confidence. We have the tools to train it, and the dog has the capacity to learn it. It's not hard, and it's fun and rewarding, and that's a much different direction than seeking to eliminate problem behaviors. Mm
0: -hmm. And faster than going the extinction route. Faster
1: than extinction, for sure, and actually faster than punishment. When we consider a couple of things about punishment is that there are some behaviors that you couldn't punish out mm. of an animal's behavioral um, repertoire. Some things you you just cannot punish out. Because and, they have to
0: meet a need.
1: Right. They have to meet yep. a need and they are meeting it. And the mm-hmm. problem is more that you're not controlling that need. They're accessing it without you being able to deliver it for an alternative, more successful behavior. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing is that punishment is is not fast unless you're willing to use force. If you're willing to hurt the dog, then maybe under those circumstances, punishment is quick. But very few of us get dogs to hurt them. And when we do reach for those solutions, it's usually just for lack of knowledge about the alternative skills that we need. So it's 2022, the notion of having to force an individual to do something rather than to teach or train, you know, it's really time to put that aside. Once you get good at using the positive reinforcement tools of shaping, selecting approximations of the right behavior to the final goal, then with your skill, it can be much faster than punishment where you may need to repeatedly use force or or coercion because that's how valuable the outcome is to the animal. They're willing to run through that electric fence to get to the Mm. deer. Yeah. So I, I push back on that notion that punishment is always faster. Um, You know, it's the, the, speed with which we teach with positive reinforcement may appear slower until we get as skilled at it as we are for with force Mm. i mean we've got centuries of experience forcing and it's really this new generation that's saying hey there's another side of the coin on this planet and that is reinforcing what you want instead so let's give ourselves some time to learn it to pass it down through the generations. And I don't think it's going to be very long before people are no longer um, asserting that punishment is necessary because it's fast. Positive reinforcement can be wicked fast in really skilled hands.
0: Thank you, Dr. Friedman, for joining me today. My biggest takeaway from this conversation is extinction as a technique is not advisable. Although it's always important to understand as many aspects of behavior as possible, the more I learn about the strategy, the less I would want to use it in any training situation. The kinder and more effective strategy is to teach the dog an alternative behavior and do your best to prevent the behavior you'd like to extinguish from occurring. This will take more skill and proactive management than relying on extinction, but it's not only faster and more reliable than relying on extinction, it seems kinder to the learner, in our case, the dog. Thank you for stopping by the dojo to learn with me this week. This is your aspiring sensei, Susan Light, signing off. You can find me at doggydojopodcast.com or or I'm Susan Light LA on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. The music was written by Mac Light. You can find him at maclightsongwriter.com. If you like the show, you can support it by subscribing, sharing it with your friends, rating it, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode of The Doggy Dojo.